0: Hi. You are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. A lot of times we are so in motion, so active, always doing something, and then kingdom prayer comes along, and we enter back into the fray of of doing action. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice just to once to pray for rest? Um, All the chaos going on in our lives. So I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to do the praying, but I'm going to have you pray with me in a way that is a little bit different, but it shouldn't be too scary. And I'm just going to ask us to just pray for rest physical rest, emotional rest, and spiritual rest. And I'm just going to ask us to pray for that. And I'm going to just ask you to pray along with me by just saying, God, give me rest. And we'll just reflect on that for a few moments and then I'll move on to the next thing. Is that fair enough? I want us to rest. And then if you don't rest enough during the sermon over the next 25 minutes, you can rest then, okay? But just pretend you're praying. Let's pray. Father, you call us to be still to rest, to know that you are God. We want to breathe deep at this moment and we want to ask God, though it's just a brief moment, to give us physical rest. Lord, in our tiredness and our exhaustion, and being overwhelmed and experiencing chaos in life, We pray. Give us physical rest. Let's pray also for emotional rest. Let's just breathe deep again and just ask God to fill us with his spirit and give us rest emotionally. Father, it's just not the physical that we are overwhelmed by, but many times the emotional. Hurts in our past, hurts in our present overwhelmed. We ask, give us emotional rest. Let's pray now for spiritual rest. Again, breathing deeply, inviting the spirit to fill us. Asking God to give us rest. Father, we may be running on fumes spiritually. We may not even be running may be ready to give up. We ask, fill us with your spirit. Give us spiritual rest. Not just for this brief moment, but throughout this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11... Verse 31, and if you brought a second Bible with you, like I did, to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses, or two passages, but I'm really only going to look at the one and refer to the second one, the Joshua one. But I want to give us an idea of what the story is so that as we're going, I don't have to go back and forth and lose people in the going back and forth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says this. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Here's her story in chapter 2 of Joshua. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. He instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, And came to the house of a prostitute, or harlot, named Rahab, and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house. They are spies sent here to discover the best way to attack us. Rahab, who had hidden the two men, replied, The men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the city at dusk as the city gates were about to close, and I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath piles of flax. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing places of the Jordan River, and as soon as the king's men had left, the city gate was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Do you ever reflect on the good and the bad choices you've made in life? And and do you ever think about how your life uh, has been affected by those choices? Not only today, but probably in the future. And you you sit there and, and you think about that. And uh, there's a lot of fear that goes into that. There are things that are good, there are things that are bad, depending on what the choice is. And uh, I know that I've shared this before, but as I was thinking about choices that I've made in trying to follow God, one of the biggest choices I think that we have made as a family, as you probably know, is to adopt. And uh, I think I've shared this before, but I just wanted to bring it up again, just as a reminder that sometimes when we want to follow God, the choices that we make do affect the way our lives are made. And I can remember when my wife first approached me and said, hey, you know what? The Bible says we should take care of widows and orphans, and so I want to adopt an orphan. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's great for you, uh, but not necessarily for me. And and I can remember the months and the years and, and all the times that in the midst of that, I wanted to quit. I didn't want to really do this. Because if we didn't adopt, by the age of 50, which I am now, I would basically be an empty nester which means I could travel, um, I could enjoy life. I wouldn't have to get up in the middle of the night taking care of sick kids, getting kicked out of my bed by one who's scared in the middle of the night. All of those things would be gone, and I would be free. I wouldn't have to go to the park pushing swings and doing all those kind of things that you do as a parent. Uh, Of course, I don't use my phone when I'm in the park unless I get an important text message. Oh, I'm just kidding. Those are, That was a choice that we made that I think ultimately was a good choice. But I promise you, I fought tooth and nail not to adopt the first. And the second one, we just kind of slipped or slid into. But as I was preparing my sermon last night, I was, I was preparing in their room because at night, they don't like to go to sleep unless I'm in the room with them or mom's in the room with them. And they don't fall asleep. Unless I'm there and it was really cool to be working on this sermon and thinking about wow This is a choice that I did not want to make but my wife And i'm not going to say forced me to do this But encouraged us to do this because she was convinced that this is what god wanted us to do There was loss there was loss in finances. There was loss in time. There was loss in freedom, but it was a choice that we made as a family, and I think it's been a good choice. Now, as I mentioned, the last time I was up, or who knows, 10 years from now, the two biggest heartbreakers in my life might be those two little girls. The first three, as far as I know, turned out okay. <laughs> I feel at peace. The next two, I'm definitely scared, because you just don't know, as a parent, what's going to happen. Now, if you've thought about it, how many of you ever thought about that, that job that you could have or should have taken but didn't? Or maybe the choice that you made to take a job that you look back now and said, man, I shouldn't have taken that job. Or the move that you made, that I'm going to move to Chicago or I'm going to move somewhere else, and initially it might be a good move, but you think, man, I really, really shouldn't have done that because I didn't think God was leading me, but I wanted to do something fresh. I wanted to do something new. I wanted to do something exciting. Or I wanted to get away from that mess that I'm presently involved in, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. Without even listening to God, but I'm just going to do it. It affects the way you live, or the person that you think, man. Because I can remember there were a couple girls, and, and I was thinking, I would like to marry her, and then I go, oh man, uh, mm, that's not going to work. That's bad. Make a choice. You make a choice. Some of us think right now, even man, I made the wrong choice. You might be thinking that. You might be thinking I actually made the wrong choice, and now I'm not happy. It's time to go. I need to leave. Well, today what I want to do is I want to look at Rahab the harlot and I want to look at the choice ultimately that she will make and how it will affect her future and ultimately how her life affects us even though we are living several thousand years later in suburban America. So let's look at this. We know that choices make a big difference in our lives and the first thing that I want to get across is as we read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31 is I want you to see what sticks out. When you read this passage, what sticks out? Verse 31 says this. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies. What sticks out? What's the first thing? Bam, you read that verse, what do you think? I know you guys like to answer every time we're in youth group. What what sticks out? Yes, Michael had it right. Michael guessed right. What sticks out is that you see Rahab the harlot. That's the first thing that sticks out. How does this lady who is a prostitute get to be in the hall of faith? Okay? It's kind of like if Bob Euchre made the baseball hall of fame. Okay, I know you guys don't know what he's talking about. But it's like he's one of the worst baseball players ever. And he's making the Hall of Fame. How does that guy get into the Hall of Fame? That doesn't make sense. How does Bob Euken, How does this woman who's a prostitute get into the Hall of Faith? How does she get to a place where God says, hey, she belongs here? I mean, because think about this. This woman if you took biblical morality and made it important, is a harlot. Okay, she's not even a temple harlot. You know, they're the the kind of good harlots, you know what I mean? In the sense that they're doing something for God, right? Okay, don't take that, you know, like seriously. But here's someone who is doing this because it is a business and morality does not matter to her and she's living in a culture where morality does not matter to anybody. It was a very perverse culture. And so here this woman, Rahab the harlot, is someone who's sticking in the hall of faith, but there's just something that is so wrong with her. She is a harlot. She's a Gentile. She's an Amorite. She's a Canaanite. She has everything running against her. There's no reason we should believe that she should be in the hall of faith because ultimately her life is a life of profanity. I'm not talking about swearing, but profaning the name of God. She's giving herself away in order to make money. And if you read this, as we read in the story here, excuse me, <coughs> she was actually very successful at what she does. Because where she lives, her house is on the wall, which means she's in prime real estate. She's the best place to be living in order to get the best business. So she's very, very successful in her life. And we could say, ultimately, in the end, if you look at a woman like this, if she does come and believes in God and follows after him, her life, her works, gain her nothing in the eyes of God. So the first thing that I see is I see a harlot. Now, I think I missed the point until I thought about it a little bit more later on in the week. I think it was yesterday morning I realized what I see is Rahab the harlot. What do you think God sees Michael, you want to try it again? <laughs> exactly. God sees a woman of faith. See that? By faith, Rahab the harlot. I stick at words, words, words 3, 4, and 5, and God is still in verses 1 and 2. Or words 1 and 2. Because he's saying, here is a woman of faith. The world sees this woman. You could say Rahab, and everyone goes, yeah, she's the queen of the prostitutes, man. She's got some prime real estate. She is awesome. That's what the world sees, but God sees something totally differently. He sees a woman of faith. I don't know if you're like myself, but a lot of times we see people for who they are, but yet God sees people for who they can and will become. I find that interesting because while everyone else is seeing a harlot, God is seeing a woman who ultimately is a woman of faith, but not only a woman of faith, but who will become the great-grandmother and then ultimately end up into the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We see Rahab the harlot, God sees a woman of faith, and says this woman of faith is so filled with faith She belongs in the Hall of Faith, and she will be a part of the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? I'm stunned by the fact that that is the way that God sees people because a lot of us look at our past and even our present and think that that determines our future. (coughs) Absolutely not true. You can look at your past, (coughs) and you can see all of the things that you have done wrong. You can look at your present and see the struggles that you are experiencing and wondering in the midst of all that you are overwhelmed by how God could really love you. And God says, I do because I see your future. When you make the choices to obey and to follow. God sees differently than we see. So how does that really relate to us? What do we have in common with a prostitute who lived thousands and thousands of years ago? The reality is that she had no theological or biblical leg to stand on in order to know God. And yet God still became a part of her life and he changed her and she became different. And so many of us today, the thing that we have in common is that when we look at ourselves, we think I do not deserve God's love. We look at ourselves and go, look at this addiction that I am stuck with that I just can't get out of. I, to me, I just I'm not going to trivialize this, but I want you to understand how small I can be. Last Sunday, I came to church and I was severely depressed. Ask me why? Because the Hawks were down 2-1. <laughs> the Cavaliers were up 2-1. And I was depressed. My world was wrecked. I can't stand LeBron. I still can't believe he did Chicago. I'm bothered by that. That's how small I am. Think about that. I said to myself, oh my God, are you? am I serious? People are dying of starvation. Curable disease is all over the world. And I'm depressed because my two sports teams aren't winning. That's, that's, that's a small thing. But there are people here who are wondering to themselves, how can God love me? As a parent, I am mean. I am horrible to my kids. I yell all the time. I feel like I'm negative all the time. Clean up your room. Do this. Get this done. Fix this. Take care of this. I'm always on them. I don't feel good about myself. It might be an addiction that you're struggling with. I don't feel good about myself. You might be abused here today by someone that you knew who, who you thought loved and cared for you and you think if they can't really love me how can God love me and it affects the way you live out your life and yet in all of this the thing that we learn from rehab is what is what you see in your past and your present isn't necessarily what God sees In your future and if you can come to that place where you can like rahab see god for who he is And believe him for what he can do you can see that god will see you differently and it should change your life We see mess God sees cleanness So remember when you look at rahab, you're not looking at a harlot anymore you're going to see a woman who's eventually going to get married bear children who will one day ultimately years later lead to the Savior, Jesus Christ, being born. That's just amazing what God does. But you know what? God sees differently, but she still had to make a choice. So let's look at that. <coughs> <coughs> let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. It says this way, By faith... Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. It's pretty simple what's going on here. Here's this woman of faith who was a harlot. She did not perish along with those in Jericho, along with those who were disobedient. Now, here's what's really key here. When we see here the words to be disobedient or believe not, the idea is that some command had been given by God. Now, I don't know if the command was to the Israelites or if the command was to the people of Jericho or the command was simply to Rahab and those who are around us. But whatever it was, there was a command that God said that she needed to obey. And and I I say this because if there was no command, then there's no way she can be disobedient. So let me look at it this way. Uh, Let's see, Caitlin. uh, Did you go out last night? Just anywhere. Okay, good. You stayed home? Good. Stay home every Saturday night. No good comes from anyone going out on Saturday night if they're under eighteen. Right, Jordan? Amen, brother. Preach it. Okay. So let's pretend though Caitlin came home last night at eleven o'clock. And yes, that is late, right? <laughs> Jonathan and Nancy, you're slacking off, man. But in our house, curfew's ten thirty. Is she in trouble? No, she doesn't live with me. Right? She doesn't live with me. She is not in trouble. Because to her, there is no command that she needs to follow. So when she comes home at 11, she's not being disobedient. Because she might even be obedient because her parents said be home at 11.30. That's how liberal they are. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You know that, right? Because she was home yesterday. Because you kept her home like good parents that you are. So there must be something that God commanded them. Because it says they didn't believe or they were disobedient. So there must have been something that she chose to obey. That she chose to follow. Because she knew and everyone else sort of had an idea. Judgment is coming. These Israelites are coming. And everyone, as she said in Joshua chapter 2, is filled with fear. They don't want to fight. There's a, a sense of terror that is existing in their lives. But God has said something. God has commanded something. And she believed. She obeyed what God wanted her to do. Now, think about this. When the spies came there, what really did Rahab have to go on to actually believe God? Now, think about this. She's living in the city of Jericho. And, and here's some I don't know, nerd notes that you'd call about the city of Jericho. But Jericho was basically a large city, but it was protected by two sets of large walls. Now, does anyone remember um, Helm's Deep from um, Lord of the Rings? You know, like you crash through the one wall and you got another wall to go through. That's kind of some big things to do. And the walls weren't just like paper-thin walls, but they were very, very, very thick walls. Uh, Twelve to fifteen feet high on one place. Uh, another place 20 to 26 feet high, another place 46 feet high. In other words, you have this huge city that they're on with, I think it was about six feet in width that you had of walls in which. So she is sitting in the city, okay, and her home is on the thick walls. And so she's got to know we're pretty safe and we're pretty secure here. We're even more secure because if you look at the people who are coming to get us, these people are a bunch of nomads. Okay, they don't have siege engines like going back to the lord of the rings You remember when the orcs were throwing those huge boulders and Smashing through the walls and everything like that and you're like wow. Okay, that's kind of scary But here you have a bunch of nomads walking around your city with no ladders No siege engines and all they're doing is walking That's not scary That's not very scary at all. And yet there is something that Rahab believed because even though she was safe and secure within the walls, and even though the enemy that was approaching the walls didn't look too strong, there was something that God said that she believed and that she obeyed. Because God had said, this is what I'm going to do. She said, I will believe. She was obedient. She knew something about God. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 2 and listen to her own words. This is what she says in verse 8. Verse 9, I'll start with. I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heaven above and earth below. She's the only one in Jericho who's believing that. Because I think... If everyone in Jericho really, really believes that and isn't resting in the security of the building, they're just saying, man, we give up, we quit, we're moving. Okay? We're out of here. Because this is not going to be a good neighborhood to be hanging out in. We're leaving. But they stayed because they didn't believe. And I don't know what that command was, but there was something that God said, and they did not believe, and yet Rahab believed. She wasn't disobedient. She obeyed God. And the fruit of that is the fact that she protected the spies. She kept them safe. You see, really what's going on is she made a choice. Rahab is making a choice. God looked at her and he saw her differently. But she didn't say, well, that's the end of it. God sees me differently. I'm good. I'm just going to let it go. No, she then had to make a choice to actually believe that what God said was actually going to come to pass. And by believing that, she protected the spies. Now, this is a little sidebar. I know somebody's saying, well, you know, she couldn't have been that much of a great believer because she lied, right? How many of you, when you first became followers of Christ, were suddenly perfect? Right? the, The thing I like about the Bible is the Bible tells it as it is. These are messed up people, man. God is dealing with people who are messed up in ways that you just can't imagine, but I see them differently. And I'm calling them to obedience. I am calling them to follow me, and they can, and they will, and they do make choices. She is making a huge choice. She's a choice. The choice before her is do I believe God, or do I hang with my people? The people that I've, 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 I've grown that are, that are my city. You know, the people that, if you had a sports team that you root together with, if you only have one sports team in the city, they're, they're, they're together. And what she's saying is, listen, I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my city. I'm going to lose my gods. I'm going I'm, I'm to make this choice to give up everything to follow this god whom I've only heard about the things that he's done. You know how people exaggerate, right? Did I ever tell you that I played high school baseball? That I was, I was actually a power hitter? <sighs> Let's take a moment to pray for that lady. <clears throat> okay, I'm lying. That was a great exaggeration, though, right? But haven't you ever been around people who exaggerate little kids? Like, I remember being a soccer coach, and one of these girls, it was her first year playing. She said she'd played before, but we all knew it was her first year. And I remember scoring 13 goals in one game. And you're like, really? <laughs> exaggeration. How does she not know that people aren't exaggerating? I'm, I'm listening to this book on tape, and it's talking about Sherman's March to the Sea, and uh, how these guys were saying, uh, there was a, I don't know how to explain this, I'll tell them the whole story, but in, in the end... The guys were exaggerating the large amount of enemy that they had to face. And even though they were almost defeated, they got saved by somebody else, but they said, wow, we did really great. Exaggeration. You know, a lot of people, all of us, exaggerate. Have you ever heard of athletes or politicians or CEOs who've exaggerated their resume a little bit to look a little bit better? So how does she know? She's not traveling around the countryside checking this stuff out. Somehow... God has revealed himself to her, and she believes. And her belief is reflected in the fact that she actually did something. She responded by keeping these two men safe. Now, I don't know what it was. I don't know what changed her. I don't know if she was sitting down with the two guys and talking with them, and what she saw in them and what she saw in their eyes was the fact that they really believed that their God was God. Because she makes this incredibly astounding statement to me when she says this in verse 11, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and earth below. Who thinks that? She has never met anyone except these two men. And and to me, that's a very powerful statement. In one evening, it's quite possible the great faith of these two men changed her life. She could have been living in fear, and having the conversation with these men, bam, something clicks. I would imagine a lot of us are overwhelmed, the places that we work, or the places that we live, and think, what can I really, really do here? I mean it's going to take years to reach these people, but it might have only taken just one night for God to reach into Rahab's life, and for her to believe. Ultimately, the greatness of her faith, the genuineness of her faith is proved by the fact that she did protect them. What it says here is that she received them in peace or she welcomed them with hospitality or that she took care of them. Or in the New American Standard, as it says here, she had welcomed the spies in peace. What it's saying is, listen, she brought them into their home in peace. She treated them hospitably. She protected them like she was supposed to in being a host. And God says, this proves that your faith is genuine. You truly believe in who I am. She had to make a choice. She had to leave everything behind when everything that was going to be left behind actually looks pretty secure and pretty certain. I mean, think about this. Once the city of Jericho is destroyed, she can't rightly say, well, now me and my family are just going to hang out here and we're going to own the city. No, it's been destroyed. That means that she's going to have to pick up where she was born and raised and move. Everything is gone. But she makes a choice in this God that she has never seen, has never seen work. And she believes that he is God. And that when he says what he's going to do, he's actually going to do it. He says judgment is coming. I believe judgment is coming. I realize I rest in the secure city that these nomads who don't even have ladders to come up this hillish kind of city are actually going to conquer us. I believe that because God said somehow it's going to happen. She made that choice and gave it all up. In the end, I think her faith shows us that even when we don't understand, if we believe in God, he can be trusted. And he will bless us. Not always in this life, but he'll bless us. It's a choice that we make. Think about this. She makes a choice, and in the end, she leaves behind a legacy. Now, not everyone makes a good choice, or makes a good choice, and it doesn't turn out like they want for instance, Abraham, right? We've already talked about Abraham. Did Abraham see his descendants inherit the land? Nope. Never saw it. Did Moses, after he delivered by the hand of God the people from Egypt, did he see the promised land? No, the only I shouldn't say that, he didn't enter the promised land. He saw it. Think about that. For 40 years you put up with a recalcitrant people, which is a big word for troublesome, and turns around, and as he's getting ready, he commits an act of anger, and God says, That's it, you're not going. But he still believed He still obeyed god allowed him to see but not enter That's not really a happy ending to the story. Is it does anyone know who William Borden is? Some of you might William Borden was a missionary in the 1900s. His plan was to go to China a rich man multi 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 multi-millionaire money galore Goes on the first missionary trip goes to egypt gets some training and what happens he dies what? doesn't <laughs> make sense. But that's the point. He was a man of faith. And God asked him to do something. So it's not always going to turn out happy. But the thing about God is we choose God because like Moses, what did Moses say? The treasures of Egypt are not enough. They do not compare with the riches of Christ, which sort of reminds me of what Paul said when he said, my own righteousness is but dung." In comparison to the riches of Christ. So Paul says, I don't want this anymore. Moses says, I don't want this anymore. It has no value. Paul and Moses would agree say, Christ has value. Christ has worth. In a sense, I'd almost say it's not even a choice. Because it's like saying, listen. White castles. Prime rib. Come on. I mean, White Castle's is good. Don't get me wrong. I love it. They need more pickles and more onions on their sandwiches. They're getting cheaper, but I guess it's the cost, and they're getting smaller like Dove Bar's. But no value. Not in comparison to this. Raquel Welch, my wife, right? No comparison, man. You get what I'm saying? This is what Rahab says. I have everything, but I'm going to give it up because this has greater value. Never seen the God. All I know is that he asked me to do something, and I'm going to do it. And she obeyed and was blessed. Now, how does this apply to us? We need to start looking at ourselves differently. We really need to stop looking at ourselves like we see ourselves. Now, mind you, I'm not saying that you should start saying, oh, I'm messed up, but God says I'm good, so I'm not going to do anything about it. No, what I am saying is, if you're messed up, you're messed up. See that as it is. But know that God can change you because God sees you differently. You see yourself in your mess, and you say, I cannot get out. God sees you in your mess and says, if you give me your hand and you choose to take my hand, I will pull you out. That's a choice that we can make. Let me ask you this. Choices that we have to make. Does your loyalty to yourself and your happiness or your safety and security become your, come before your choice to follow God? Did you get that? Does your safety, your security, your happiness, is that your choice or is it more important for you to choose to follow God? A few weeks ago, I visit a, a family, and uh, the husband has um, ALS. It's not looking good, and we're having a conversation about marriages and all this other stuff. and I, I, and I hope this I'm, I feel like I'm stepping on sacred ground, because to me, I felt like this was a sacred moment. We're talking about one woman who woke up in the morning and said, "I am not happy. I don't want to be married anymore." She left her husband.. That's it. I just, it's, it's no abuse, nothing wrong. It's just I'm not happy. I'm gone. See you." And, and, I, and this is where the wife said, you know what, this situation, I'm not happy. I am not happy. Who wants to be happy? Who wants to see their spouse for four years slowly deteriorate knowing that the end is near? And here's the sacred moment. She said, but I'm sticking with them to the end. Come on, man, don't you want to have some happiness? Aren't you tired of this? Yes, I am. I am tired of it and I don't enjoy it. But you know what? This is what God has asked me to do and I will do it. That is absolutely a sacred moment to me. That is marriage at its best. That is marriage at its best. When someone can say, I don't care what you throw at me or I don't care what's happening in our lives, but till death do us part in sickness and in health, I am here and will stay. I ain't leaving. Because this is what God said I'm not happy. I don't like the way you treat me. I don't like the things that you do. I don't like anything, But I'm not, and I'm definitely not happy. But I'm going to tell you, this is what God asked me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a choice. Because my loyalty to you, God, is more important than my loyalty to my happiness. Now, I'm not preaching, be unhappy. That's the worst. If you, get the, if you get that out of this, you've missed the point. I want everyone to be happily married, to enjoy it, to express it, experience it, all those good things that marriage can be. I don't want that unhappiness to be a part of your marriage. What I am saying is God asks us to do things that don't make sense, to choose him, to see that there's value, and even in the end, as difficult as it can be to stick with it. Here's another question. Are you seeking God before you make your choices? Are you seeking God before you make your choices? This week I had a dream about my my sister's home. And in the dream, my family wanting a bigger home said this. We're going to take it. We're going to buy the house from you. Now, I, I, you've got to know who my sister is. My sister is a doctor, internal medicine. Uh, her husband is also a doctor. Uh, he's Hyris Obi Um You kind of get the hint, right? They have a nice house, really nice house. And, uh, th- and the cool thing is, in this dream, the house was even nicer. And they're going to sell it to us. And I said, you know what? We're going to buy it. And here's the picture of me looking out the window, going, man, this is a really nice house. And I turned to my wife and I said, we cannot afford this. We're going to lose it. And then it was like God spoke and he said, this is your life. You made a decision to buy this house without asking me. And that's the rest of your life because in a lot of things that you do, you make decisions without seeking my face. I think Rahab here, When she saw God, she sought him and saw great value. And said, this stuff I could be happy with, but I will never find true happiness or joy unless I choose God. This God has seen me differently. The people in the Syria of Jericho, they'll always know me as Rahab the harlot. And their destruction was coming. But God sees me. God sees me. It's so valuable to include me in a line and in a hall of faith. And she gave it up. All of it. She chose to be different. She chose amongst all the people in Jericho and said this. I will choose God. The person that precedes her, precedes her, not proceeds precedes her is Joshua. The very man who said, this I know. As for me and my house, we will serve God. Nothing else. We will serve God. So today, how do you view yourself? Is it the way you see you or the way God sees you? And when you correct that lens, let me then ask you this. Is God asking you to choose something that may mean you lose much, in order to gain something that you might not see as gain now or in a few years, but ultimately we will see in the city where I dwell. Will you make that choice today? Will you choose to say, God, I will do what you are asking me to? I may come tooth and nail, scratching, screaming, crying, hollering, but I'll go. And you know what? I may get to a place where I'm going to say, God, I don't even want to go anymore. You need to drag me. It's okay. Can you get to that place? Like Rahab, to say, I will give it all up, and I will choose God. Let's pray. Father, you are in heaven, and we are here on earth. Personally, I think I know. I think I know what's going on. I think I know how it should be fixed. I think I know how things should be done. And yet, I have to remind myself that I am here on earth. I am not where you are at. Father, I confess that life is a struggle. It is chaos, it is exhaustion, it is mess. There are so many things about life that makes one want to quit. And yet, you see differently. Not just us, but our circumstances, our lives. Our prayer is this. Can we see what Rahab saw? Please. For someone to give up everything, to follow the unknown, can you please show us that? Father, there are many of us here today that are probably on the verge of saying, Bag it. I'm through. I'm done. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll play the game. But I am not following God anymore. God, we need to experience what Rahab has experienced. We need your spirit to strengthen us, to choose like Rahab, to do what is right. Now what is right in ours, what is right in the eyes of our friends, what is right in the eyes of even those who love us, if it is not what is best in your eyes, it is not what we need. So please, let us see what Rahab saw. In Jesus' name, amen.